0: Welcome back to Season 2, Episode 8 of the Sharp Angles Podcast. My name is Warren Sharp of SharpFootballAnalysis.com and SharpFootballStats.com. Really important day coming up here, guys, because it is going to be the last day that players are going to be able to opt out of the 2020 NFL season. This Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern Time deadline. But before we discuss some of those news and notes, I just want to go ahead and mention we do have all of our NFL betting and fantasy packages up on the website as we speak. SharpFootballAnalysis.com. We also have our futures package, which just went up there, and you're going to be able to purchase futures, and we're going to start releasing those very soon after the opt-out deadline has occurred because that's very important for us to be able to just get full confidence in, in who all's opted out. And we don't want to jump the gun on anything if there's some last-minute surprises, which there certainly has the possibility to be. But why don't we dive into this episode? I'm joined, as I always am, by our lead editor at Sharp Football Analysis, Dan Pazuta. You can follow him on Twitter at Dan Pazuta. Dan, how are you doing one day until the opt-out deadline, I'm going to get a lot of good information here, but how's everything going in your world?
1: Yeah, everything's going pretty well. It's kind of nice as players have been you know, reporting, we're getting a lot of news of this opt-out, but we're also getting you know, some actual football news of how some guys are looking, even if it's just the coach speak we're getting, you know, Bruce Arians talking up Ronald Jones, like even whether like he really means that or not. It's nice to hear a coach talk about football again. So uh, I'm, I'm really excited that that is starting to happen. And it kind of it, it feels like the season is is going to happen. And it's getting closer. And, and that's that's a nice feeling.
0: Absolutely. I mean, it's definitely great in the background to be able to get updates on NBA scores, to see the NHL playoffs resuming, to see uh, Major League Baseball playing games, and just everybody on Twitter seems to have slightly better positive outlook on on uh, you know because all everybody that we pretty much follow, most everybody is is in the sports world, so you know most of the people that we're following have have gotten a little bit better positivity in their in their timelines. And that's always a good thing, especially when you're still sticking around the house for the most part. Um, So I love that. I I think we've got um, an interesting 24 hours in front of us as we record this on Wednesday evening to just go ahead and see what goes on with this opt out. But let's just dive right into that, guys. The the biggest news is, of course, the 4pm deadline. Up at sharpfootballanalysis.com, one of our sticky pages on the content tab is our list of NFL players opting out of the season because of coronavirus concerns. We have a lot of background in case you don't know enough about this uh, in terms of the deadlines as well as the two areas in which a guy can still opt out even after this 4 p.m. deadline. So there are a couple of scenarios. We won't go into that, but it's listed up on the website. You could check that out. We also, not only do we have a tracker, the tracker is sorted based on which teams are most impacted by the opt-outs. And we also have a tracker that lists out the number of players total and the percentage. So we, thus far as of this recording, have seen 60 NFL players opt out from 22 different teams, and that includes 17 starters and 43 backups. So most of these guys obviously have been backups, but when you look at the percentages of the 80-man player, uh, 80-man roster, which camps are allowing, as well as the number of starters, we're right around the same exact percentage. There's been about 2.3 percent of the players on training camp rosters have opted out and 2.4% of the offensive and defensive starters around the league have opted out. So it's, it's a relatively small number, but we'll see if we have a massive influx that occurs by tomorrow's 4 p.m. deadline. Dan, why don't you talk a little bit about any teams that stand out that people should be aware of that have had, you know, a few players of key positions or key starters opting out?
1: yeah I think obviously the the big one is the New England Patriots. They were kind of the first team to really have a big wave, and they have been the one that hit the most at this point. I've got eight players right now, and five of them are starters. It just kind of seems like whether you know New England embraced this more and Bill Belichick was just like, listen guys if you need to opt out, and it sounds like a lot of these guys you know either are high risk have someone they know who are high risk I know a couple of guys uh I think uh wives are, are uh, expecting so that's that's a lot of of things to, to be thinking about when, when you think of the on the field impact of this you have uh, Dante Tower who was really like the skeleton key of, of that defense um, and then Patrick Chung too you put the two of them together kind of in the middle of that field and it it's going to be really hard t- for the Patriots to, to figure out what is going to be there there's they have some potential backups you have like guys like Juwan bentley who uh has filled in for high tower previously they patriots took kyle duggar in the draft so you kind of have these guys but they're younger guys who are going to step in to guys who have had these big roles uh obviously the patriots are i think the biggest hit but you have that coaching staff that's probably going to be the most likely to be able to adapt so we'll see I, mean, I think you have the Chiefs who have only had two players but they were two starters uh Laurent Duvernay Tardif was one of the first guys and he's, he's a doctor he's going to help uh in his community uh, with some uh COVID patients and you have Damian Williams obviously Claude Edward Hilaire is there so the the Chiefs also have some guys who can step in there and then I think you look at the Giants the Giants might be actually the most impacted because you had Nate Solder uh, opt out. He's a cancer survivor. Uh, he also had a, a child, young child with cancer. So huge reasons uh, to opt out there. But you look at what the Giants are now left with, the left tackle. Uh, they drafted uh, Andrew Thomas, who's probably now going to slide into the left side. He was projected to be in the right side to start, um, but that's going to be good. But then uh, Sam Beal um, just on Wednesday also opted out. He was projected to be the starting corner uh, opposite of James Bradbury, who was brought in uh, with DeAndre Baker's uh, legal situation uh, playing out. And the Giants don't really have a lot of depth uh, at corner uh, outside of Bradbury. And it was going to be thin with Beal, now without Beal. I think that has the potential to really be a disaster for a Giants team that that didn't have uh, a lot. And I think one thing we we should point out is uh, as of recording uh, Bill's cornerback, Tredavious White, uh, has told reporters on Wednesday he was you know, still considering opting out. So if he does that, that's a huge impact because that's one of the best corners in the league on a defense that's one of the best defenses. And I think Tredavious White being able to lock down those number one wide receivers plays a big role there. So that would be huge for uh, Bill's defense if that does indeed happen by the deadline, which you will probably find out uh, shortly after you listen to this podcast.
0: Definitely, and there's a lot of issues here uh, with regard to the Giants, who you mentioned. we are talking about their starting quarterback, projected starting quarterback opting out. Like th- this was a team that was the eighth healthy- healthiest defensive Backfield. Uh, They had the fifth overall healthiest defense last year, and they were still terrible against the pass. They ranked 31st against the pass. And we're actually projecting that they are going to move from the 26th toughest schedule, so one of the top 10 easiest schedules of pass offenses, now to play the 16th toughest schedule. So a pretty sizable leap up in terms of increase. It's overall the fifth highest increase in terms of difficulty of opposing corner quarterbacks that this defense is going to face Uh, and now they're working in a new corner in Bradbury and uh, they're going to be down Beal as well so that's going to be a challenge for that defense but absolutely I think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens by this 4 p.m. deadline, and of course, we will be hot on the case tracking every single one of these opt-outs, and I highly suggest checking out the tracker up on the website. And we're going to do some interesting things once this tracker is done. Once this 4 p.m. is de- deadline is done, we got Dan working on a little research project that's also going to be something that you haven't seen elsewhere. We're going to post that up on the website where we're getting a really good look at Uh, the caliber of players that are new for both sides of the football on each team is going to be really interesting. and something very important in this offseason of change. So looking forward to that. I'm really excited about this show that we're doing tonight, Dan, because what we're going to do is pretty interesting. We are going to take, each of us wrote our list of five offenses that we thought were going to look better And finish with stronger efficiencies on the offensive side of the football than they did based upon last year's numbers. And we're also going to look at five offenses that we think are going to finish worse than their numbers finished last season. The metric we're going to use, you could use a lot of things. You could choose to use EPA. You could use success rate. We're just going to go with football outsiders DVOA. So we're looking at, and the numbers we're going to share, are the rankings of these teams, where they were last season, based upon their final end-of-year ranks on the offensive side of the ball. And we're going to project whether or not we think these teams are going to finish better or worse. We decided not to include the Pittsburgh Steelers offense because that was just a slam dunk, easy offense to talk about. They finished number 32 last season against a much more difficult schedule. Right now, we forecast the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to play the number one easiest schedule of opposing defenses in the NFL. Pointless to talk about them. Ben Rothsberger looks good. I just saw a new picture that the Steelers tweeted out of him with a, with a much better trimmed beard, Dan, and, and a nice uh, tapered haircut. I don't know if you saw that, but he certainly looks like a far cry from uh, what was a character in a uh, in uh Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, uh, the children's animated cartoon. I forget. Yukon uh, the, Cornelius. There you go, Yukon yeah. Cornelius, and uh, that's exactly what he looked like before. He looks much more dapper. I'm not sure if you would concur with that assessment, Dan
1: yeah I mean, I think anything would be uh, an upgrade from uh the early quarantine Roethlisberger look uh, and, <laughs> and and we'll see i think of course, the question's going to be uh how his shoulder looks and 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 moves once he gets on the field um, but yeah, so we we took the Steelers out of this because obviously uh they were just an atrocious offense last year but of course because you know duck hodges um mason rudolph were just absolutely terrible so uh, yeah obviously they're going to improve this year we we would think uh so yeah we're going to look at a little more of you know teams that we're going to dive a little deeper into that have have better reasons uh to think they're going to improve this year
0: yeah so let's get started um Why don't we go ahead and uh, I'll go ahead and start with one and I'll pick one that we didn't agree upon. um, And that's the Cleveland Browns. Now I'm not going to go as deep into the Cleveland Browns. This is just going to be a pretty quick take because we discussed the Cleveland Browns on our last podcast where we were talking about four teams that are going to look a lot different in 2020 than they did in 2019. They were one of the four teams that I was discussing there. Cleveland, clearly they have a new head coach, offensive system with Kevin Stefanski, heavier personnel. We've talked a lot about how that improves Baker Mayfield's efficiency when he's played historically with heavier personnel. It gives him more confidence in the pocket. His efficiency increases. They're going to be using more pre-snap motion and particularly play action that they weren't using enough of last season. Also, just a much easier schedule. If you look last year, this Cleveland Browns team, Baker Mayfield played the number three most difficult schedule of opposing pass defenses. Currently, I forecast them to play the number 32 toughest schedule, aka the number one easiest schedule of opposing pass defenses. Uh, overall, the number seventh easiest schedule of opposing defenses. So, this is just a team that is going to face a Uh, A boon from a scheduling perspective a boon from a coaching change perspective and then of course they brought in a couple new tackles for Baker Mayfield drafted one got one in free agency added um, a new tight end in Austin Hooper added a fullback it looks like David Njoku is planning on staying and sticking around last time we talked there were some Rumors that he might be fed up and his agent wanted to get a trade out of there, but it looks like he's in it for the long haul. So I think this team's going to look a lot better. And last season, they ranked number 20th in terms of efficiency um, based upon uh, Football Outsiders DVOA. However, they did rank number 12 in my early down efficiency metric, so they were better last year than their ranking to begin with uh, based upon just looking at early downs and I think everything that's changed is going to improve them this year so that's a slam dunk for me I think they're going to be better Dan what's a team that you think is going to have a better offensive performance than what they ranked last year
1: So let's uh, stick with that division. I'm going to go with the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, Last year, they were 29th in offensive DVOA, 28th uh, for the pass, 23rd uh, on the ground. But when you're that bad, you get uh, usually a high draft pick, and that high draft pick was first overall, and that ended up being Joe Burrow. So right there, huge upgrade at quarterback over the uh, Andy Dalton, Brian Finley duo that they throughout last year. Um, one of the things is, uh, we don't totally know what Zach Taylor is as a coach because of whatever was really going on with that offense last year and that team. Uh, there there was not a lot of talent there, but we could kind of see some of the ideas that he had. And he's from that, you know, Sean McVay tree. And a lot of that was using the 11 personnel and not only having that help the pass, but having that help the run. Last year, they were was seventh in the rate of runs they had going into white boxes, which are six or fewer, and they were fourth in uh, avoiding stacked boxes. So at least they had the idea there they're going to get a potentially offensive line uh, improvement. Jonah Williams is going to be back on that line at tackle after he missed his entire rookie year. Um, so I think there's there's some good ideas there. And then when you look at the the strength of the wide receivers, that's going to be better. AJ Green is back. You have Tyler Boyd, who's probably going to be in the slot. And you have T. Higgins, who's a guy I really like coming out of Clemson, their early second round pick. And that's going to be a really strong three wide set uh, with Joe Mixon in the backfield, who can probably. Uh, be a little more involved in the passing game this year. Uh, we hope, I know that's been a big issue on uh, pre-snap motion, which is our fantasy podcast. I know uh, Rich Rebar has talked up the the potential of Joe Mixon as a, a pass catching back this year. But I think you have a really strong three wide receiver set that's going to help both the pass of the run. You have that huge upgrade at quarterback. Uh, you have a... Uh, be- Slightly better offensive line, Uh, so I think there's a lot of things that that are going to click. And and last year they were again 29, so they don't have to be, you know, one of the best offenses in the league uh, to to improve. Uh, But I think they they can shoot up and and maybe be, you know, in, in that average range. And I think if they do that, that that's going to be a really good thing to to look forward to when you look at when they're really going to be able to start thinking about competing in, you know, 2021, 2022 uh, in Burroughs, like second and third years.
0: Yeah. And last year, if you look at their strength of schedule, they played the, uh, the number one toughest schedule of opposing pass defenses, the number four toughest overall schedule, as you mentioned, the number 29 schedule. So very difficult schedule of opposing defenses last year. This year, they're actually facing the number 10 easiest schedule of opposing defenses and the number eight easiest schedule of opposing pass defenses. So just like the Cleveland Browns, this is an offense that's playing a much like a dramatically easier schedule of opposing defenses. Cleveland played the number one, had the number one biggest jump. These Bengals have the number two biggest jump from most difficult to easiest from 2019 to 2020. So I definitely think we're going to see improvement uh, from that that position as well as echoing your sentiments elsewhere. Um, There were a couple of teams that we agreed upon and we'll hit those right now. One was the Washington football team. And the Washington football team came in number 30 last season in terms of offensive efficiency. And to me, Dan, I think that we're both in agreement here that this team's going to look a lot uh, better. Number one, they play a much easier schedule of opposing defenses. We've got them pegged as playing the 12th easiest schedule of opposing defenses when they played one of the toughest schedules last season. In addition I just love the fact that you have a proper way to use Dwayne Haskins with Scott Turner's offense last season. It was just as big of a crap show as you could get for a rookie quarterback to enter into. So hitting this really quickly, when you draft a rookie quarterback and you're allocating enough draft capital to this guy, you want to optimize his reps in camp, if possible. And if that's not possible, because you're really planning on getting another guy, the starters reps, you need to get this guy full practice time before you actually choose to insert him ideally before a bye week, but um, you know, to get even more practice reps, but you want this guy to be taking all the number one mental reps, but also the physical reps. None of that happened for Dwayne Haskins. Jay Gruden was a lame duck coach entering the season. They brought in Case Keenum. He was the number one QB. Jay Gruden was trying to win games to prevent getting fired with Case Keenum. That started to derail. They started out 0-3. Case Keenum throws a pick in the game against the Giants. And in his first 11 passes, Gruden just rips Keenum out, ticked off at Keenum. Inserts Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne Haskins didn't take the number one reps during the practice uh, leading up to that game, did not look very good in that game whatsoever. At the end of the day, what happens very next week? Boom, it's not Dwayne Haskins. They go back to Case Keenum. So they're just rotating guys in there. They got a little bit of game uh, play from Colt McCoy at some points. Case Keenum was, or, sorry, Dwayne Haskins was always the number two guy, got inserted multiple times into games when he didn't take starters reps leading into that game, just a far less than ideal situation. And I could go on and on about the improvements that Scott Turner is going to make from a philosophical standpoint. Um, But we don't have time to dive into that. The only thing I'll just simply say is take a look at what Norv and Scott Turner did with Cam Newton in 2018. You're absolutely going to get a far more QB friendly oriented offense this season Yes, they don't have the right level of talent at some of the positions. No, they don't have great offensive line uh, skill and or depth. That being said, you're going to get play calling and coaching that's really going to help maximize Dwayne Haskins' floor. And hopefully the ceiling will be improved as well. I think that this is going to be an offense that doesn't have to move far to look more improved than what they were last year, but I definitely think is going to look improved. Dan, I know you also agreed on Washington, but why don't you talk about another team that we both agreed on, and that was the Indianapolis Colts offense looking a lot better this season than they did last year.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's such an interesting thing because it was also something that uh, you posted on the site. Um, on Wednesday, it was from uh, the you know, sharp football preview, a book um, that uh, how good the Colts were to start the season with Jacoby Brissett and how good they were at the start of some of those games um, in the second half of the season. And then things just kind of fell apart. And now you have a, a better quarterback there, uh, obviously, uh, in in Philip Rivers, who, um, you know, the Chargers were still one of the better teams in offensive DVOA last year. They still finished 10th. Um, for you know, all we you know looked at what Philip Rivers kind of looked like he fell off a cliff last year a little bit. Um, but they were still a pretty good offense. You have Rivers now, coming in with the best offensive line he's probably ever had in his career. I think that eliminates a lot of the pressure. Um, you have a three-headed backfield that's probably uh, going to be. Uh, use much better by Rivers in the passing game, whether it's Marlon Mack catching passes or Naheem Hines who potentially could have that role. Um, I think even when you look at whether T.Y. Hilton is, is healthy, it looks like he still has a bit of a hamstring issue, but you look at you know uh, Michael Pittman who is, I think, the type of receiver who could absolutely quick with Rivers uh, pretty early on. Uh, and then you have some some tight ends, Jack Doyle and even Trey Burton. I think you can have two tight end sets there that are going to work with Rivers. I I think just, just the upgrade at quarterback alone, I don't think Rivers completely lost it like a lot of people did last year. And you just look at him coming in, um, and you just have Frank Reich, who is a great uh, head coach, a really good offensive mind. I like the style of the offense they're, they're going to run. I think Rivers is a really good fit for that. And I think when you look at the talent that they had, it, it was close to clicking last year. And I think now just with, with a better quarterback, uh, I think that has the odds of that clicking are going to be much better uh, than they were uh, much better this year. And they, they were 24th last year. I, I think they have the potential to be, you know, in that in that top, probably 15 range, I think. And if they can do that, I think that they're going to be one of the better teams in that division, if not the best team in that division. I think they have a lot of upside uh, that, that's going to be unleashed this year.
0: Yeah, and one of the things that's going for the Indianapolis Colts is just another easy schedule. Now, they did play an easy schedule of opposing defenses last year, so unlike some of the teams that we've discussed already who are going to see a much easier schedule in 2020, that's not the case for the Indianapolis Colts. That being said, a very easy schedule is going to benefit them immensely The next team I'm going to talk about, and and Dan, let's hit one more team in detail each, is the Arizona Cardinals. And they are not going to be benefiting from a much easier schedule this season. In fact, they still play one of the top 10 most difficult schedules of opposing defenses in 2020 as they did 2019. But the key for me as to why I think we're going to see improvement here from this offense um, is is number one, because I believe that This offense was not able to operate at its optimum levels last year just because of how they had to incorporate this new style. You have Cliff Kingsbury – hiding everything in the preseason games last year because they didn't want to showcase anything. You then have them start the season and their wide receivers, which this offense is predicated upon having a lot of wide receivers out on the field, just start dropping like flies. You got Kristen Kirk goes down, Demir Bird goes down. You also have for the first five, six games, they're, primarily using David Johnson as their running back. And David Johnson was not a good fit for this offense at all. Cliff Kingsbury is working with the ingredients that he was given, decides he doesn't like David Johnson, and they obviously go out and and acquire Kenyon Drake. And Kenyon Drake is a much better fit for this offense. And he's going to be your number one running back to start the season in 2020. I think Kingsbury will have learned a lot about what works for Kyler Murray throughout the course of the 2019 season to better utilize that for 2020. I think he's going to be able to call more plays and have more of a playbook to work with this offseason. So I just think that there's a lot of things that are going to fall in their favor this year, not to mention the fact that they now have DeAndre Hopkins at wide receiver, another really experienced player to throw out there in three wide receiver or four wide receiver sets. So I think this offense is in a really good position to Uh, see success, even though they don't fall in the category of many of the other teams that we've been discussing, which are either much easier schedules, getting a new offensive coach or getting a new quarterback. That's really where most of these other teams fell into. The Arizona Cardinals don't fall into any of those, but I do see more efficiency from them. Dan, let's go ahead and discuss another team that you think has a better ceiling for their offense in 2020.
1: Let's go with the team that I'm going to probably be way too high on this year, uh, just in general. And that's the Detroit lions. Um, I think we think of them as just uh, this team that, that couldn't win. Uh, you have gone into a very um, deep detail about some of the ways uh, the lions were not optimally, uh, oh optimally um, <laughs> going into games and, and, and coaching and, and strategy, but, for what they were doing, especially in the beginning of the year, um, this offense was great with Matthew Stafford. I think you finally had um, after a couple years of the the Jim Bob Cooter uh, offense that kind of suppressed uh, Matthew Stafford a little bit and he was this guntlinger early in his career. Uh, Cooter came in and was like no we want you to to throw shorter and that was you know a couple of years that kind of wasted what Matthew Stafford could become and then in the early parts of last year under Daryl Bevel uh, this was you know a a throw it deep throw it often uh, type Offense and uh, Matthew Stafford for the first half of the year was basically like Jameis Winston without the interceptions, and that's a, a really good quarterback. Um, from you know, weeks one to nine, they were fourth uh, in passing DVOA, and that's when Matthew Stafford was healthy. Uh, and then from weeks 10 to 17, after Stafford was out, they dropped down to 26. Part of what held them back last year is in that one to nine range uh, they were 30th in rushing DVOA so when they were run relying on the run uh, it was not good at all so I think that's going to be a little better they have DeAndre Swift uh, who they drafted in the second round they have uh, on Johnson who's going to be coming back maybe being healthy I think they're a little better up front at least with a little more consistency and if you have a healthy Matthew Stafford Kenny Galladay uh, is one of the better wide receivers and a perfect fit for Stafford, who is going to be a guy who is just, he's, he's going to throw it. And I think Galladay is one of those guys who can be a contested catch guy at a consistent level. We don't always see that with guys who, who win contested catches, but Kenny Galladay is one who can go up and do that on a consistent basis. That is a skill that is translatable for him from year to year. Uh, You have Marvin Jones is probably still one of the most underrated um, receivers in the league. And TJ Hawkinson, who had that huge uh, week one last year, and then kind of fell off a cliff and, and disappeared. And we see that a lot with, you know, first year tight ends kind of, they don't always make an impact in that first year. I think year two for him is going to be huge. I think he can be a great passing game weapon, especially um, in some of those play action. I think he's, he's George Kittle ish. Um, I don't want to say anyone is George Kittle because, you know, Kittle is you know, one of the best tight ends right now, but I think TJ Hawkinson has, has those types of traits that can translate to being a plus performer uh, in the run and pass game. So I think you, you put all of those things together. And if this Detroit offense, if everything works, can be really good. Uh, I think, you know, I think you're going to have a lot of deep passes, um, which uh, is great for Stafford. It's great for those receivers who are able to get open. Um, so, I think uh, Detroit, I, they have the potential to you know, maybe be a uh, top uh, top 15, I think, at least. Maybe top 10, if, if all things go right. And I think they, they should be uh, considered more for the division favorite than, than I think they are right now.
0: Yeah, and Detroit was one that barely missed my cut. I was definitely high on the Lions as well. Two other teams that fell into our top five most improved offenses from 2019. Dan took the Carolina Panthers. I took the Buffalo Bills. So that's two more teams. We're not going to dive into them. Let's put a couple more teams that we thought are going to have better offenses, at least in terms of how their efficiencies grade out year over year. We've got three teams that we agreed on uh, to be in our five offenses that are going to decline compared to what they were ranked in 2019. And I'm going to go with the Las Vegas Raiders. The Las Vegas Raiders ranked number nine in efficiency last season. And ironically, they played the number nine easiest schedule of opposing defenses last year. That's not the case this season. They're going to face a much more difficult schedule of opposing defenses. They now move up to the number seventh most difficult schedule of opposing defenses by my projections their passing defenses move all the way up to the second most difficult schedule of opposing pass defenses. I know Derek Carr has made his media tour uh, coming back to camp all about this disrespect card, and he's being tired of being disrespected and and all of that, and that's that's fine and dandy. Um, I just hate it when guys talk about it, especially guys with holes in their game, in my opinion, like some of the things we've seen from Derek Carr. Not to say that he is sometimes an underrated quarterback because some of his numbers that he has been capable of putting up uh do exceed the general, I guess, the general impressions of Derek Carr. But that being said, he's certainly not near the top or even above 50% on any of my list of of quarterbacks in the NFL. And I just think that it's going to be hard for them to replicate a number nine ranking against such a difficult schedule of opposing. Defenses, you also have the move to Las Vegas from Oakland. That's going to make things difficult from just a setting up and go. Every single player is now in a totally new system. Um, I, I mean, a totally new lifestyle and new living arrangement Um, and so there's just a lot of off-field distractions that are going to be highly prevalent with the Raiders this upcoming season Um, in addition to you know all the all the travel just anywhere they even go from Las Vegas is going to be different from a from a travel plan and a traffic perspective and all of those types of things as well Um, and I think this is a team that look I I like Gruden um, as a coach more so than as a gm personnel type guy but i just think if we're expecting henry ruggs to come in here and 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 make a like an immediate difference uh for this team uh, it's it's going to be tough for that to really be the case right away and for that to be the difference maker in their season so this is a team i think that's just going to stand to obviously fall out of the top 10 most efficient offenses i think they run the ball a little bit too much on early downs uh, Josh Jacobs obviously was very impressive last season. Did some really good things before he injured his shoulder. Uh, but people are aware of how Gruden's going to use him now, of the things he likes to do with him. I think they got that film on him, and uh, I think it's going to be a challenge for them this upcoming season. Dan, yeah, more- I
1: I think uh, I, when you mentioned Henry Ruggs, it's it's interesting because I kind of think he's you know a, a perfect fit for that and can make an immediate impact. But I think so much of the rest of that offense just is unsustainable. And I think if you, you know, polled people of who the top 10. 10- offenses were last year. I think it would take a lot of people a lot of time before they got to the Raiders and, and figured out they were number nine. Uh, but I think it shows that John Gruden can scheme up a little bit, but I think so much of what really went right for them, uh, a lot of yards after the catch, kind of Darren Waller coming out of nowhere. I don't think he's going to be as efficient as he was uh, last year. I think when you have like someone like Hunter Renfro, that's probably not a sustainable uh, performance. So it's going to be interesting. I, I do think Ruggs is actually exactly what they need and, and can help and is one of those big play threats but uh, so much of that other stuff uh that that went along i think it's going to be hard for that to keep up and that's probably what's going
0: to keep them back this year yeah very good point on that um why don't you go ahead and hit one of the other teams that we agreed on there was uh, two more that teams that we were in agreement that we're going to drop off this year
1: Sure. Let's go with the Los Angeles Chargers um, who um, we talked about. Phillip Rivers going over to Indianapolis the team that he is uh, leaving behind. The Chargers were again, the 12th in uh, offensive DVOA. Uh, last year. Uh, when I said, I think 10th earlier, that was weighted DVOA, which awaits uh, uh, the end of the season a little more. So, But they were still 12th and, and right now they're going into either the season with Tyrod Taylor as the starter, or likely uh, eventually Justin Herbert. And I'm a guy who I really like uh, Tyrod Taylor. I think he was underrated when he was starting for uh, the Bills. I think we can uh, completely write off whatever he did um, in those couple of games with Cleveland uh, as we can with Kind of anything that happened in that Cleveland era, um, you know, he, he's a guy who's going to be short. has has a really good deep ball. Um, it doesn't throw it often, um, but the the Chargers don't really have a lot of guys who were going to go deep. I think their number their the receiver who can get deep most often is Mike Williams, but he's also not a guy who's going to separate a lot. And Taylor's not that kind of guy who's going to be throwing into tight windows like that. I think you're still going to have plenty with Keenan now, and there's still going to be plenty with Austin Eckler. Um, but I just don't think the, the upside, I, I don't think is there right now, especially if they go to Herbert, uh, who was a little underwhelming as a college prospect. So I think there's still a lot to be determined there. Um, and just I think without Philip Rivers, without really the, the matching uh, of what uh, River's skill set and some of the skill sets that were there in that chargers receivers. I don't think the skill positions are really set for what those quarterbacks are right now. Uh, And I think that's going to take a a little bit to adjust uh, on both sides there. And I think the the chargers offense is going to take a a bit of a step back this year.
0: Yeah. Very good point. Especially when you talk about some of the timing and the, you know, efficiency that he's going to get from those skilled players and all the things that Kind of he, didn't have, he did not even have to talk to Keenan Allen. They just were on the same page on a lot of different things. That takes a while to build, and we haven't had an off season like we typically have, so that's going to be challenging as well as the whole, new, the whole right side of that offensive line is brand new, so there's less continuity. They also have a couple of older guys on that line, um, so injuries could be a factor as well as other issues that may pop up in the course of the season. I, I do agree with you um, on that one. I'll go with one more team that we were both in agreement on, and that was the Minnesota Vikings. The Minnesota Vikings were a team that ranked 10th in efficiency last season. Uh, and We just talked about their offensive coordinator from last year is now the head coach of the Cleveland Browns. So that's going to be uh, a new offensive system. I don't necessarily think it's going to be that Big of a drop-off in terms of the offensive coaching with Gary Kubiak and some of the things he was doing because that was already integrated a little bit into what they were doing some of last season. But you're talking about a number of players that um, I just don't know that they're going to have the same upside Obviously we know the biggest move is Stefan Diggs he left and he's now Buffalo's number 1 wide receiver. You have a slightly increased difficulty in terms of strength of schedule. This team played the number 5 easiest schedule of opposing pass defenses last season. That will increase. And in addition, you know, this team ranked number 10 in overall offensive efficiency, but they ranked worse than that in on early downs, so they weren't quite as efficient On early downs. Um, This is a defense that I think is losing, and I'd like you to chime in here, Dan, but they're losing a lot of players on the defensive side of the football, and I don't know that they're going to have, especially this offseason, quite as good of a defense moving into this year, and when you don't have as good of a defense, you're less likely to be in situations where you can be balanced and call optimal plays as an offense. You may be in more situations where you're down a little bit in late in game situations and you have to put your pedal to the metal and go for it and be more predictable. And I don't know if that's the situation that Kirk Cousins necessarily would thrive in, especially without Stefan Diggs there. They're incorporating a ro- rookie wide receiver there uh, in Justin Jefferson. So I just think that there's a lot going on from an offensive perspective. And I don't love how much they rely on the run game to begin with. And so I just think that there's a couple of pieces, whether it's the offense coordinator leaving, whether it's Stefan Diggs not being there, or whether it was just like this overall magical season that they had last year with a lot of play action and efficiency gained from that, that's just not going to be quite the same in 2020. But what are your thoughts on some of the things that you know you were thinking about as it relates to the Vikings?
1: Yeah, I think the, the defense is an interesting point for how much talent uh, they did lose, uh, and how much talent is is still kind of questionable, and I think that that helped set up the offense a, a lot. Um, they were, the offense was fifth in starting a line of scrimmage per drive, and that's uh, per football outsider, so they had very advantageous starts to a, a lot of their drives, and with that, they were still, they were 11th in yards per drive, so I think you you push back that starting line of scrimmage uh, a little bit. and and that makes them a little more of an average offense. And I think Adam Thielen is there, and Adam Thielen is a good wide receiver. I think we talk about Justin Jefferson as someone who fits into what Minnesota wants to do. But I think we're really like just underrating how big of a loss this Stephon Diggs trade was. He was just someone who was able to and not only just uh, win all areas of the field, but he was really that that deep threat also. And that changes kind of the way the coverage is going to be. I think if you look at just how effective he was on some of those those deep balls, on go routes and deep crosses. And Stefan Diggs led the league in receiving yards last year with 436 yards uh, on those two routes. The next highest was Mike Evans with 330. Um, That is a huge part of the offense uh, that is now gone without Diggs. And I don't know if they have someone who is going to completely be able to step into that role. And I think a lot of those, those play action rollouts and those deep shots, a lot of those were designed for Diggs. Uh, and, and they just don't have that. So uh, you, I think you have to think about those, those rollouts a little bit, and even if they're still effective, they might be, you know, those intermediate hits to Thielen or, you know, Kyle Rudolph or something, and they're not going to be those open down-the-field plays, and I think that takes a lot of the ceiling from that offense and, and brings it and lowers it uh, quite a bit. So I think that's kind of what we're looking for in Minnesota. Even if, you know, it's still really well-schemed, it's doing a lot of things well, it just doesn't have that high upside uh, that it had last year, and I, a lot of that. Uh, is without Stefan Diggs or just someone who's going to get open deep. That's, That's just not on the roster right now.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And especially when you go back to that defensive point and you look at some of those quarterbacks that they faced last year, it's no wonder that their defense looked a little bit better. We're talking about they played two games versus rookie quarterbacks in terms of David Blau and Daniel Jones. They played three games versus bad veteran quarterbacks. They got the backup Matt Moore. They got Case Keenum, who obviously was benched. They got Derek Carr who we talked about earlier. Then they played five games versus the Bears, the Packers, and the Broncos' Brandon Allen. He's in there for a game. Um, and then when you look at, like, the respectable quarterbacks they face, whether it's Matt Ryan, who threw for over 300 yards, or Carson Wentz, who also did the same, or Phillip Rivers, who also threw for 300 yards, or Matthew Stafford, who threw for 364, or Dak Prescott, who almost threw for 400 yards. Like, you're talking about all these guys put up numbers against that defense. Now they have so many new pieces back there. I just think it's going to be a challenge to get them to play close to that same level when they're facing – you know, they may not be facing – Carson Wentz and and Matt Ryan and some of the top QBs in the NFL on a weekly basis, but probably not going to have to face the dregs of what they were trotting out last season very often. What's a team that you also noted that I did not note that is different from our list that um, I know you talked about, both the Titans and the San Francisco 49ers, two teams that made the postseason last year in large part because of how efficient their offenses were, but you think that those offenses are going to come back down a little bit this year. Why don't you pick one of those and discuss it? Let's just
1: uh, go with the the Titans. I think the San Francisco can still be uh, quite good. I just don't think they're going to be as good as they were last year. We talked in one of the previous episodes kind of about about their run game. That wasn't, you know, this crazy efficient run game. It was just something that worked uh, with, well with their passing game, and it was efficient enough. But the Tennessee Titans, it's just uh, so much of this is just going completely unsustainable from what they did. It was great last year. Uh, but when you look at the amount of uh, red zone trips they had that ended uh in touchdowns um it's just it's not going to uh continue um this year they were um so they ended up third in uh points per red zone trip um with 5.38, they were first in touchdowns per red zone trip, uh, 0.756 touchdowns per red zone. So they scored a touchdown about 75% of their red zone trips. That's just, that's just not going to happen. Uh, the, the next highest team was the Ravens at 67%. Uh, percent. So that's just, we're not going to see that type of production again in such a high leverage area. And I think that takes the ceiling down a little bit. I think when you look at what Ryan Tannehill did, I wrote a post back in November about how he was just absurdly good in the, Intermediate range on some of these passes with like a, an 85% completion rate, that's not going to happen again. So they're going to have to find ways to scheme open their offense a little more. You're going to have to bake in some regression from Ryan Tannehill, uh, figure out whether, you know, AJ Brown can have the type of season he had again last year, a a whole bunch of yards on really not a lot of targets. So you're going to have to uh, try to uh, calibrate that a little bit. And I think just so many things went right for the Titans last year in that late, uh, that late season run, that it's just, even if you know, two of them don't work last year, they are a significantly worse offense. I don't think they're going to be bad, but being you know, a top five, and I think they finished at six in DVOA, I don't think they're going to finish uh, at, at that rate again, and I think that's something they're, they're going to have to uh, accept and, and try to work around.
0: Yeah, I don't disagree whatsoever there. And the team that for me that I won't talk about, but was on my top five list was the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now they were not a good offense last season, but you might be surprised that they did finish 24th. Now that doesn't sound great. It's still bottom 10 in the league, but people probably would have thought that this team was bottom five. Um, and they were significantly worse when you look at just an early down success metric, uh, that they were one of the bottom three teams in the NFL last year, but they did finish 24th overall in offensive efficiency. I think they're just really going to struggle this upcoming season, not that they play a tremendously more difficult schedule, but talking about a team that's a little bit more interesting to discuss would be the Green Bay Packers, and I've talked a little bit about the Packers and some of their issues previously. So I'll just try to summarize it by saying, number one, they do face a much more difficult schedule. They played the 19th toughest schedule of opposing defenses last year. They play the ninth toughest schedule this year. So a top 10 schedule of opposing defenses. They did not have to deal with that um, last season. In addition, their defense, just like we talked about with the Minnesota Vikings, their defense, the Packers defense played a very nice schedule of opposing quarterbacks in particular when we're talking about a ton of passes from Mitchell Trubisky. No quarterback threw more than 59 passes against them, even in a couple of games from Kirk Cousins, except for Mitchell Trubisky, who threw a ridiculous 94 passing attempts against these guys. So of course, that's going to help your defensive numbers a little bit. You also have 38 attempts from Kyle Allen, 37 attempts from Daniel Jones, 35 attempts from Matt Moore. All of these guys are are guys that were either rookies or will not be starting in 2020. Joe Flacco on the list as well. We also had Derek Carr. um, And it goes on and on to include Dwayne Haskins and David Blau, et cetera, et cetera. So this defense is going to be challenged more, which is going to put their offense in less opportune situations where they're going to have to win the game as opposed to just be able to play efficient and call plays there. The defense doesn't know, is it going to be pass or is it going to be run? And then when I looked at the scheme and some of the things that Matt LaFleur was doing, I just felt like defenses weren't prepared for it necessarily as well. We know that this offense looked much better in the first quarter of games and then their offensive efficiency started to trail off as they went to the second quarter and then especially in the third and the fourth quarter. These are things that opposing defenses now with a year to study them are going to figure out a little bit more as to what they were doing early in games. They've made adjustments in game, but what were they doing early in games, and how do we how are we going to stop this? The other thing is they really didn't do anything to improve their offense whatsoever. Um, you know, we know famously what they did with their three draft picks to start the uh, to start the draft off. They have a new right tackle that they had to replace, but their primary receivers they didn't do anything except for go out and get Funchess, but he's now opted out of the season, so he's no longer available to them as well. And I don't buy any type of narrative that Aaron Rodgers is suddenly going to play better because he's got a quarterback that was just drafted behind him. Uh, So I just think that this offense is definitely due for some regression, in part because the defense is going to make their life more difficult, but primarily just because I think that opposing defenses are going to figure out a little bit more about what they were doing earlier on in games and putting the kibosh on that. Um, anything else, Dan, that you noted, this was a pretty fun exercise. I thought talking through some of these offenses and we definitely want to come back and hit some of the defenses, but any other tidbits that you think we left off? Yeah, I think just to note, I think the the Green
1: Bay split, uh, especially the passing, uh, from the first half of the season to the second half of the season, uh, was huge, um, for football outsiders from weeks one to nine, they were sixth in passing DVOA from weeks 10 to 17, they were 23rd. Uh, so that drop out drop off or really happened and hit them uh, pretty hard in the second half of the season. There was uh, bad games against San Francisco. Uh, there was a bad game against Washington, real bad game against uh, Minnesota in that game. Uh, that was uh, basically a playoff kind of playing game. Um, so we, uh, we can see how there, there was not a lot going on there. And I think it, it got a little worse uh, throughout the season. So um yeah, I'm I'm interested to see uh, what that offense is going to look like. I think when you just have someone like Devontae Adams, that's, you know, you have a, a floor baked in a little bit, but what how high that ceiling is with the lack of, of talent around them. Um yeah, I think, you know, it I kind of like I said with, with Detroit, I think that division's going to be um, you know, uh pretty a pretty even uh, between uh, at least three of the teams. And we all, we also said, we expect Minnesota to be uh, to a worse offense. So uh, I think just looking at what all of those teams are going to be, uh, I think that's going to be a really interesting division to watch just overall.
0: I absolutely agree. I think that's going to be a very close division. I think it's going to be far closer than what it was before. I don't, I don't see the lions being anywhere close to the record they had last year. I think the bears are going to be improved overall. Uh, this season, and I think that you know you've got the Vikings and the Packers taking a step down each, but just making a, a far more competitive division. So I'm really looking forward to watching that. Um, well, I guess then, with that said, we'll maybe hit defenses unless there's something really exciting to talk about it for next week's show. But certainly enjoyed going through this exercise with you guys. Hope that you guys are staying safe, enjoying your off season. We're getting ready for the. Final opt out list. So pay close attention to those that will end tomorrow, well, Thursday at 4 p.m. And until that point in time, keep track of everything up at the sharpfootballanalysis.com opt out tracker up on the website as one of our stickies. We'll be updating that throughout the course of the day, as we mentioned earlier. Be sure to check out the 2020 football preview if you haven't already got that. The season is definitely happening. Players are going to be playing games and you need to be prepared. That's the fastest way to get smart for the 2020 season. Check out our fantasy packages up on the website. Rich Rebar has put in a ton of effort. There's so much there to digest already. Highly recommend you check those out. And remember, the NFL futures package is up there now. NFL futures are going to be coming out very shortly here. So you want to be able to grab those and grab a betting package for the 2020 season. With that being said, for Dan, I'm Warren. Take care and enjoy the rest of your week, guys.